A warning to all listeners, this is a very spoiler-heavy discussion of Star Wars The Force Awakens. So we recommend you see the film first, and then come back to the podcast then. You are listening to the official podcast for The Playlist on IndieWire. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and joining me today to talk about Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, is Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez and Managing Editor Kevin Jagernot. A new era of Star Wars has officially begun with this latest J.J. Abrams-directed chapter in the famous saga. It's already setting box office records, but that was expected. So we gathered on Mike to talk about the film itself. Be warned, again, this is a spoiler-heavy discussion. There's lots to discuss, so I'll just drop you into our chat now as Kevin opens with his initial reactions to the film. My initial reaction of Star Wars is sort of a pleasant surprise, actually. Um, Mm. I kind of had covering the movie sort of every day for like a month, pretty much all of December. By the time I got to the screening, I kind of, I was I didn't really know what to expect. The biggest accomplishment for me is that the film sort of captures the spirit of the original in terms of the sense of wonder, uh, the, the sort of how, how you capturing the spirit of the characters and sort of conjuring the vibe that I think the prequels totally lost sight of um and yeah i've seen the film twice and and it comes through again on the second viewing as well so i mean we're gonna we're gonna get into sort of the things that didn't work and and all of that but i think on a broad in a broader context in terms of reinvigorating the series and the franchise uh jj abrams did the job and he did it in a pretty highly entertaining way so it worked a lot worked really well for me yeah yeah i agree i mean when i came out of my screening that uh, I rarely will sit all the way through the credits of a movie, but I kind of like didn't want to leave the theater when when the mm. credits started. And even just, you know, hearing that familiar credit theme at the end, like it was just so nice to really to not want to bolt out of the theater as I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago when the prequels happened. It was such it really was a big turnaround. And that was my my main thought coming out is like, you know what? Abrams was the right guy for the job. And him and everybody involved in this really just like they just pulled it off. They made they made a good Star Wars movie, and even more so, I think this is a really good sequel to Return of the Jedi. So like in the end, you just I just like hats off. Like they pulled it off. And um, Rod, have you only seen it the once as well, or just seen it once? Okay, and uh, so so for you, um, how 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 did it how did it hit you on that first viewing? Well, I, I would also like to say if you want to hear. The, the most amusing running commentary for like two years straight of how much this movie's going to suck. And then to hear Kevin's reaction, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's true. Because there was basically like just like unwavering cynicism about that they wouldn't do this and do this. And I told Kevin from the beginning, you know, they're going to kill Han Solo. And he was like, there's no fucking way they would ever do that because of the toy. <laughs> And they will never fucking kill Han Solo because mm. he's just there's a there's a billion dollars to be made on his toy alone, and those things are run by Disney, so forget it. And um, well, you know, 
I guess we just got into a big spoiler there, sort of. Um, yeah, yeah. And, well, we, you know, we should – I'll say something up at the top anyway. But, yeah, spo- yeah, spoilers are abound, and they're free and good to go this whole time. And I, I'll just add to what you said, Rod, is, like, to me, Solo being killed off always seemed like if they were going to take one of the legacy characters out in this, this episode, it always felt like, to me, it was going to be Solo because that connects to Return of the Jedi. Like, do you guys remember, like, there's, there's documentaries out there where so- um, Harrison Ford – he asked Lucas to kill him off in, in Jedi and Lucas wouldn't do it because of the same thing, Kevin, you, you were, uh, that you were referencing. Kevin said is like the toys, you know, the, the idea of not wanting to kill that character off in 1983, but that is what Ford always wanted. So it always felt fitting to me. Like if they're going to take someone out, I always felt like it would be him. And, uh, also that, Harrison Ford spinoff movie or the I'm sorry the Han Solo spinoff movie they're gonna do makes a lot more sense now you're referencing as a thing I was like maybe you didn't know but I think it's like one of the most commonly known things so in a way to me it was sort of like completely obvious that they were gonna do that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like like it just seemed like okay he's back he's gonna finally get his wish he's gonna be like okay I'll yeah I'll do this one but I'm I'm, you know I'm out after that yeah and and then that gives you, you know, for all the reasons why he wanted to do it for the first place, it it works in this one. Um, In terms of the rest, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, what to echo what Kevin is saying about the tone, my issue is that, like, the tone is so, um, it's like tone management, it's like so perfected within the first five minutes of the movie Mm. that it's like um, they worked so hard on the tone that they forgot a little bit to work on the plot. Mm. Um, in my mind a little bit like the tone is it, it's so good you just forget about it it's not like it's not like you spent the whole movie going like wow like you know Star Wars is back it's like it's pretty apparent within the first 15-20 minutes they've you know they've got it they got it down and it seems in this kind of effortless way where I don't even need to continue thinking about it anymore mm-hmm. and then I'm 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 okay you got me I'm I'm yours what are you gonna do and then you give me a plot that's like you know uh, pretty much a, a redo of A New Hope and a remix of, of Return of the Jedi. You know, the plan's in a robot that everyone has to get on a desert planet mm-hmm. where there's an orphan who gets part of that and they go on this adventure and they blow up the Death Star. It's like pretty familiar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the movie even makes a joke about that when, when Han Solo says, yeah, we get it, it's bigger. And like, doesn't he reference the fact that there's bound to be a like a... Like a, a weakness, a weakness, right? It's like, yeah. well, why, <laughs> why? Just because the first, yeah. Movie. I mean, like you know, like on, on some levels, the the that that they do that a third Death Star. Well, is that going to be the end game? Like to me, right. okay, like Star Wars is like this really big universe. It's this really huge thing. It's this just gigantic galaxy, and yet the end game of every Imperial, which you know, the the Empire seems like it's going to whatever form it takes. Mm-hmm. The, the first order or whatever mm-hmm. is the is the end game from every one of these things to blow up planets and is it the end game for the rebels to stop them from blowing up planets like is there no other kind of like if this is a war and it's a dictatorship and and whatever they're trying to do um is that just going to be the outcome every single time mm-hmm. like it's just so we've seen it three times now three times it's done twice in the in the uh, you know credit the prequels with at least not having to do that and different aspects of war, you know? Yeah. 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 That's true. Um, which ahead. is kind of like what I like about that, the, the bounty hunters movie. Like it's a very specific 
thing about sorry not the bounty hunters but rogue one it's it's about right, stealing right. the death star plans it's a very specific like kind of like uh you know suicide squad little mission type thing it's like a very specific thing and these things on the grand level are just so like well we try and blow up planets and then we try and stop you and they've done it so many times and they've made it this big thing now this one can blow up five planets in a row or whatever it is and so it's like it's it's like you've You've basically like. What's the next thing you're gonna blow up? It can blow up seven. You know what I mean? Like it's like I'm kind of. It kind of worries me for the future of Star Wars on a, on a like. What? How are you gonna keep topping this? And why do you keep repeating this kind of thing? You know what right. I mean? Right. I wonder though if the 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 sense of uh, it gets into that um, the idea of like the what, what did Matt Singer from Screen Crush the legacy sequel? The, the he kind of coined that term if I if I'm correct. Uh, the, it. This movie sort of has to play in the old movies. I, I don't know. I think Abrams does a really good job of balancing all the familiar stuff that you're you're talking about. And it's understandable if it doesn't work for people as much. And the plot's very familiar. But I do think he inverts and subverts some a lot of our expectations in really clever ways that make me actually much more hopeful for where it's going to go now. As much as I really enjoyed Episode 7, I thought it was such a great... Essentially, for me, it's more of a remix of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I mean, right down to the wintry planet for half of the movie or, you know, a good chunk of the movie. But um, right. is so he's remixed those familiar elements. He's given us enough new stuff where we see the passing of the torch to where we think, you know, where there are all these possibilities to go to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think I think that allows I, I think this movie kind of did what it had to do. But now I hope that they can take that to do something new. Like if we see but, if we see yeah. a mega do- Death Star in the neck in Episode Eight, then I'm with you, Rod. Like it's a that becomes worrisome. I me. think I think I I'm with you, Eric, in terms of like I think there is a lot of uh, opportunities to go into different directions. And you know the the talk right now is how Ryan Johnson's movie is going to be so different. Mm-hmm. And he's really doing like that's sort of the angle they're taking on the next episode is that he's going to put his own stamp on it and this and that. But I mean, the way things are set up with Luke being introduced at the end of the film Mm -hmm. and uh, Ray sort of discovering she has Jedi powers and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think we're essentially going to get a remix of Empire Strikes Back Mm -hmm. with the next film. I mean, I think I mean, to my mind it's going to be Ray learning how to control and use her power and uh, Luke sort of getting his mojo back. Yeah. Which is sort of the broad, I mean, broadly speaking, it's more or less the plot of empire strikes back with where that's where Luke sort of finessed his powers and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how boldly they'll, they'll diverge from like the familiar tropes of, of the films that we've had so far. True. I mean, and, and Disney is nothing if not a very safe, you know, maker of movies but i do think the opportunity is definitely there to strike out into something new and i will say this like when ryan johnson got the job i can't i think it was maybe last year he came on to the film spotting podcast sure and he talked they he really couldn't say much he had just gotten the job i think but the only thing he said that i think um sounded very promising is he said something along the lines of i pitched disney my dream dream star Wars movie that I've had in my head since I was like 15 or something like that. Right. And, and they went for it. And that's why that's the only reason he really, you know, he of course wanted the job, but he said he really like, that's why he wanted to do it. 
And no, t- but I mean, the, yeah. Abrams has said the same thing that he that he was like the question, right. or no, the question was asked of him, like, you know, what happened to Luke Skywalker, and that mm-hmm. excited him so much, he just basically gave us Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back again. Right, right, but so, but look, I just let's... take all that stuff with a very measured look because I think filmmakers get very excited, but there's mm-hmm. also the reality of playing to the expectations of of what a studio wants and also what fans want too. I mean, mm-hmm. it would have been nice to see a really completely exciting different story but what but having seen the like watching the movie with like an audience you you really do get the sense that you know for all for as much as everyone even myself has been like you know oh the star wars universe is so big and they need to do this and they need to do that you know people are are really excited to see han solo back they're really excited to see chewbacca and c-3po and mm-hmm. and all this stuff so it's a really interesting it's it's actually kind of fascinating to look at it like even outside of a critical view just in terms of like it's kind of fascinating to see what how audiences respond and what they latch on to and what they really want when they see these characters come back mm-hmm. i also think i mean i, I kind of think you guys are wrong on some levels like I, this version of star wars and I, I i would bet any money on it like it's the version that J.J. Abrams wanted. It's not the version that Disney asked for. It's the version that that, that this brain trust. Oh, I agree. No, I totally agree with like you. Like, J.J. Abrams yeah. totally made the movie he wanted to make. And every one of these, what we're saying is too familiar or, uh, you know, this and that. I think it's, it's it comes straight from, like, he's a fan and this is what he wants to see. In fact, I just reread an old uh, Hollywood Reporter story earlier this morning because Ollie and I were talking about Star Wars stuff. And... They basically said an early version of Michael Arndt's uh, uh, draft because he was the Pixar guy who was originally writing it. Mm-hmm. They're saying his stuff uh, initially focused um, very much on the children of like Luke and Leia mm-hmm. and more like – from what I, I guess we can glean that that's a little bit more probably uh, Lucas's treatment. Not that he was doing Lucas's treatment because I think they discarded Lucas's treatment pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I think you like like even JJ. I think is slightly inspired by that treatment. Um, so I think he was focusing on that. And they said that you know like uh, that JJ basically was like, mm, I don't really want to focus entirely on on new. I want some more old. And he was the one who was like, let's bring Han Solo, Luke, and and everyone else back. But I think JJ Abrams is totally right in that. I think you do need mm-hmm. the torch pass. And I think one of the biggest successes of this movie, like of all the things that work in the movie that is the that's the part of it that for me is the most successful is how they transition into the new characters i don't have a problem with those characters being there and i don't have a problem with the torch pass i more is just my biggest issue is 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 more just the familiarity of the plot I, I, that, yeah i don't i don't fair. mind the familiarity of han solo being there and the quirks of his character and things like that because i think all that stuff's really well handled and i I mean i I should say like um i really like the force awakens i just have a lot of problems with it but i still really enjoyed it yeah yeah i was kind of more my my best react best the the best way to pinpoint my 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 reaction was really that like i really enjoyed it but i was also really frustrated by it because Mm. i felt like as everything was as a, a you know, every second that I was having like a beat where I'm like, I'm in love with this again. It's like, oh, there's the cantina again. And I'm like, oh. so that's yeah, sort of like with def- Rasta music. <laughs> right. right. So <laughs> yeah. just that kind of deflates me for a minute. Mm. And then I'm like, 
um, okay, I'm loving this again. And then, you know, oh, we're back on Hoth again. And they're blowing up, you know, they got to blow up the shields like they did in Jedi. So I'm deflated again. You know what I mean? So there's this constant like, oh, I'm really getting into this again. And then every two seconds or something where it's like, it's just so similar mm-hmm. that it, yeah. it, it, uh, it's sort of affecting my enjoyment of it. And it, it's got to be said for a movie that to me is like, in some ways, such just a blatant carbon copy ripoff of, of A New Hope remix with Empire and Return of the Jedi. It's for something that it's that blatant in a way, it's really fucking enjoyable, you know? Yeah, yeah man. I, I agree. And just any other movie could, could do that and, um, and, and be that similar. And you'd be like, ugh, it's the same fucking thing, you know? And, and, yeah. and maybe you really wouldn't enjoy it, but well, I would, I wouldn't throw Ryan Coogler's Creed in there. Actually. I think, I mean, we don't need to like dive into that movie, but they're both, it's kind of crazy that they both came out this year and they are essentially following the same sort of, you know, yeah. respect the past, the torch past to the past, you know, respecting and paying homage, like to an insane degree, but really moving it forward. Um, and maybe Creed does it even more successfully uh, or more just, it's not quite as blatant, maybe all the callbacks. I don't know, but. Uh, I had a similar reaction with Creed. Creed's a movie I really like. I think it's really satisfying, really crowd pleasing and enjoying but it's so – especially for a movie that says it's all about I need to get under out from under the shadow and create <laughs> a legacy. It, yeah. it, it is completely indebted to the original legacy and doesn't carve out its own shadow even though it says – or get out from under that shadow. I mean it says it repeatedly. Like that's the theme of the movie, you know? Right. But I feel maybe I'm giving each movie too much of credit in that I almost feel like they both work – the familiarity of those plot beats in both movies works as like almost a meta commentary for the movies themselves and where they exist. It's like, we kind of have to, you know, like they, they acknowledge that within the storyline, but they actually, that's what they're overcoming in a way, like in the, I don't know if it's as much of a meta commentary as like Jurassic world was right. But like that movie really put it up front. In terms yeah. of like, this is a remake, we're doing it again. I'll say this, though, what, what, and I'll ask you guys. Like, I'll take a million episode, uh, Force Awakens and Creed's over a million Jurassic Worlds. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, okay. I haven't seen Creed yet, but I actually I really enjoyed Jurassic World. And I okay. kind of don't. I think there was an unfair sort of resentment towards that movie. Interesting. Because uh, it's really well accomplished. Like, yes, it, it deals in a lot of familiar tropes and this and that. And you can... Like we were doing with Force Awakens, you can point out all kinds of things that are maybe wrong with it, but it succeeds on multiple levels in terms of it's a huge. For me, it was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, it was great. Uh, a pretty big deal to see a guy go from an indie movie and then knock out a two hundred million dollar blockbuster on that level. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I'm, I have no problem with Jurassic World. Frankly. It's really interesting though. Cause like a lot of this is like, a lot of this is so. Um, uh, what's the word? It's kind of just like it. It's a little amorphous in the way that, like, okay, for example, um, like, okay, you know, Star Wars is really familiar, so we're all like, oh, it's really familiar. But what if it wasn't? Mm-hmm. What if, maybe we'd be craving, like, hmm, you know, maybe it needed a little bit more familiar familiarity. It's off on this other thing, and um, and then there's the thing that people really, really, really care about these movies. You know, like I, yeah, I certainly do. I can't deny it. I have not seen a Star Wars movie since. Whenever the the Revenge of the Sith, yeah, as that was two thousand five. Yeah, was that really? Was that yeah. you know, okay? It was was that was years. the last time I saw a Star Wars movie? I haven't seen one since. I didn't rewatch anything, but and and you know even before then, 
the last time I'd seen a Star Wars movie, maybe that was right around the same time as when they did the re-releases. Mm, yeah, the special you know? editions. Yeah, 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 when they put those in theaters. Yeah. So, like, to me, like, I've really, really left Star Wars behind, but it's a huge part of my upbringing. Like, it's just, like, yeah, I, like it's 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 everything to me in, in, in still in a way, even though I've, like, completely forgotten about it. It's like a childhood friend that I haven't talked to for 20 years. You know what I mean? It's the only VHSs I still keep on my shelf are the original. It's the first time I ever bought a movie was the, the trilogy. So, yeah, yeah. Part of the familiarity is, like, it's not just in the characters. I think it's, like hearing a song you haven't heard forever, like on the radio and then yeah. like you're transported back. I think the reason why the familiarity works is it has less to do with like the elements than the tone. If the tone was off, then none of it would work or whether it was an old story yeah. or a new story. Right. Right. I mean, I guess the point I was just trying to say is like for some people also like, so, so Jurassic, the franchise really doesn't mean anything to me. So maybe I think maybe that's part of the reason why I really enjoyed Jurassic world mm. because like, I, I didn't really the, – the, the originals – I haven't even seen two and three. It, it, it means so little to me that I never thought to go see those ones. Mm. Um, the you first, didn't miss much. <laughs> right, right. And and the first one I and, – and, and, and maybe people know those movies really intimately where they seem like they're the same. Um, like, you know, but uh, for me it's just like the concept is the same. That's it. Like, like it's just – people being chased by dinosaurs but that's all it ever was right to me like if there's more to it um i haven't really thought about it because those that those the original jurassic park just doesn't really mean that much to me so that's part of it i i think in terms of like you know your reactions to stuff and and you know i'm sure a certain generation i mean i think everybody seems to really like it but there's a certain generation that likes the prequels too you know this is mm-hmm. true you gotta acknowledge that a young generation yeah yeah of course because that's what they grew up with Let's look at like Abrams, the filmmaker versus say Ryan Johnson, who's going to make episode eight. I mean, just look at their filmographies. And to me that, that makes me feel that hope I was referencing for where it can go, especially with episode eight is Abrams is the remix reboot. You know, he, he does his thing is making really good cover songs as movies, you know? Uh, even Super 8, which yeah, is, yeah, is his great. quote. Yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's, a, he's a mimic, you know? Exactly. He's, and you know what? I actually think he's extremely talented as that. Like, he's, I, like a, he's like a uh, with like a chameleon or like a yeah. – what, what's an animal that like copies like the sound, like a, one of those birds that copies the other call of another bird or something? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. He's that. And I, I, I mean that like as a compliment. I think that is a lot harder than a lot of people maybe we all assume or we think about filmmaking is like – he is really good at that thing. And that's what he's done. I mean, even Super 8 is his one original movie. Is It's, it's a Spielberg movie, you know? Yeah, it's an, it's an, it's an uh, Amblin homage. Exactly. And then Ryan Johnson has done nothing except carve out his own path with his movies. Now, Looper, his last movie, is really promising in terms of what he... Like, the fact that he made that before he's going to make the Star Wars movie... To me, proved he could work on a bigger budget, use special effects in those things. He even sort of remixed elements of the Star Wars mythology, you know, in Looper, in the sci-fi elements of it. You know, you could you could feel that part of it. Um, and I don't know. I'm even though there's some familiarity in the genres that Ryan Johnson has worked with, he's always like carving out his own path. And I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that being said, I mean, let's, I mean, be real. I mean, it's not like we're gonna get Episode Eight and it's gonna be hugely divergent from what we've seen before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think it'll be a ryan johnson movie but in terms of like how everything is structured in terms of the feel of it 
it's going to be Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movie. Right. And but it's not going to be it's not going to be Star Wars episode 8 Looper. And I guess exactly. And that you're I agree. I guess why I referenced Jurassic World earlier is like for me personally I I would rather see like I don't see a stamp from a director like Colin Trevorrow. Maybe I'm uh, placing too Maybe. much importance on that. I think he's a really good. I don't want to make too many judgments. He's only dude's only made two movies, and I haven't really liked either of them to be honest. But I I think he's a talented craftsman. I hope you know he can pull it off since he's doing Episode Nine, and he he can have more of that. But I don't. But I, I think you, I think for a fair comparison, you need to look at like the Mission Impossible franchise. Abrams made yeah. a Mission Impossible movie, yep, and it yep. like in every regard was just a Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. And then Brad Bird made one, and same thing. It was just yeah. There's no stamp on those movies. They they fit into like what a Mission Impossible movie is. I I would say the directors get to place a little bit of their stamp on. I mean, watch, go back and watch. Uh, actually don't. I think De Palma Impos- is the only one who really put his like, well, I mean, what about the awful part two that John Woo? I mean, why did John Woo well, have to shove doves into that movie? Because it was a John. Well, Woo it's movie, because yeah. he puts doves in everything. Yeah. It's like lazy auteurism, you know, like right, oh, yeah. that's what I expect or people expect. But I do think Tom Cruise being as powerful as he has been with that franchise has allowed the directors to, maybe put enough of their stamp on, but that, that is even arguably getting rounded off as we get more and more of those movies. So again, I think your point is really apt, Kevin, in that like uh, it's worth being concerned about where we go. It's, it's so exciting that we have a star Wars movie that like, you know, it's good. It feels like. I'm not even concerned. I I just think we need to temper expectations that it's going to be wildly divergent because Ryan Johnson's doing it or whoever's going to do it. I think star Wars will always have a familiar tone and a familiar, playground in which it works in and that's totally fine because going back to force awakens it works like it's entertaining and yeah the the i agree with ryan and that the story uh is a remix but like you said it's a really good cover song of what we've seen before so <laughs> yeah definitely definitely well uh any like you know, I, I feel like we've we've had our gripes. We've put some out there. But, like, any highlights for you guys, moments, characters, or anything that really just clicked for you? Like, Rod, you kind of talked about being pushed and pulled in and out of the movie. What were some of those moments that really just drew you in? Anything? Um, Ray, for sure. I think she's yeah. the best character. She's such a standout. Um, Max Landis is, can go fuck himself. Um, what, what did he say about Ray? Yeah. He called her a, a Mary Sue no which, way. Which is, um, does someone want to explain what a Mary Sue is? It's I, like I, a, I don't even know what that means. Tell me. <laughs> it's like a, um, almost like I, I, from what I get, from what I understand, it's supposed to be like a, almost like fan fiction where a character, like a fan, makes up a character who uh, is faultless and is supposed to be like their sort of dream version of like if I were doing a character and then they've forgotten to written write flaws. Um, interesting into them and because she's so um i guess she's so accomplished and so um uh you know proficient at everything Mm. that he is his comparison is like well like look at luke he's like this bumbling like young dumb farmer and i don't know what his argument was beyond that because i didn't really want to look at it yeah But, (laughs) but maybe that 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 like you know it should follow that model but you know like what's interesting and a few people have put that out is that 
Yeah, Ray's Ray's accomplished, and and she's like really proficient in in, in many many things. But her her struggle is one that's very different, and that we've seen. And it, it all about it's about for her. It's like that she's living a life a lie, and her life is self delusion. You know, because as we find out later on, she's been living this sort of thing that like oh I'm waiting for my parents, but deep down inside she knows her parents are dead. Yeah, yeah. you know, or they're and, not coming back, or what? No, yeah, they're dead. They're mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think Maz says that to her. Uh, but it's because it, it is a thing that happened to her in her childhood. It's a traumatic event, and and sort of that's her sort of like internal struggle of like, like uh, of, of who she is, who she is as a person. She's sort of living this kind of like workman like. Well, I'm just I'm, you know, I'm surviving and I'm scavenging. I'm doing all my stuff, and, and and it's like it's denial. She's in a life of denial. So that's her sort of thing, which is different than we've seen from sort of the Star Wars thing. So I don't necessarily. Yeah buy the Mary Sue thing. So what if she's accomplished? Like right. uh, she's got, she's got other issues that, that are part of her struggle and, and, and part of her arc as, as a character, because when she's awakened to it and this movie's all about awakenings every, on every level, you know, I mean, from the title to everything, even R2D2 awakens at the end, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Awaken. Um, and hers, like, remember what, like, you know, when, when she's awoken from, from, uh, the, the ghost voices and the, on that planet, she rejects it. She's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. You know, she yeah. can't feel it. And she tries to take off and she tries to leave. And then of course she runs into Kylo Ren and that becomes a whole other thing. But like, I think that's really interesting too, that, that like, you know, these people are, are, are not flawless, um, or not, are not perfect. Like they may seem that they're perfect, but they have a lot of their own issues, you know? Yeah. And I, I think her issue, as you've pointed out is, is a nice inversion from Luke's in the prior trilogy where Luke was desperate to get off that planet. All he wanted to do was just get the hell out. It's, it's a much more simple and clean motivation. Whereas her, she's a, all uh, like understand too. It's like getting out of your hometown, you know? Right, right. And I, it makes a lot of sense. It's a great, and I could see why George Lucas would, would write that, you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, the, the mythology of heroes, like go back to that and use that for this, for his trilogy. But I love that the Ray character in this is, desperate to not leave home she's delusional as you pointed out and i think i think that makes her a much more complex character uh than luke skywalker and it might be subtly so but i i I really took to that the the complexity of her character and then the john boyega character as i mean they they both sort of are remixed as like a han solo luke skywalker i mean i guess finn feels more like the solo for this this new story to me i think that's really different and i don't like as much as I find remix things, I find it, I don't find it as much in character. Like I think Ray is fairly original and I find that, uh, Finn, like I don't, I don't see his Ray as just a, as an inverted version of Luke or a, a model of any other character. And Finn, for the most part, if anything, Finn has more, uh, Luke Skywalker in him because he's this sort of like really earnest and really, um, you know, like, I mean, like Han Solo is like, just relax, kid. You know what I mean? And that's sort of his reaction to Luke Skywalker in the first one. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? He's always telling him, like, dude, like, chill out. Because he's really earnest and really hyper and really kind of... So that's sort of where he connects to Luke Skywalker. But he, his character is essentially one of a crisis of conscience, which we haven't seen in this series at all either. So I think that's also a little bit refreshing to me. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when he says it was just the right thing to do, you know, like such a simple, but like refreshing, like character motivation for him where 
Like it, it kind of also, that was early on in the movie where I was like, that's what it felt like to watch that original trilogy. The simplicity of like, let's just do the right thing here. You know, like the characters want to do the right thing or the good guys. And I like that there is a lot more gray and murky murkiness uh, for these characters moving forward than like, you know, clearly they're the good guys. Clearly they're the bad guys. I mean, that's there, but I do feel like there's a lot of interesting avenues to go down. I mean, and you can even get into the Adam driver character as well. And I think I'm very excited for what they'll do with this Kylo Ren character too. So I think for me, the, the most interesting element is actually Luke Skywalker. I mean, the, the, the new characters are great. Don't get me wrong, mm. but I, I was really surprised that Luke Skywalker gets no lines of dialogue <laughs> and he literally is in one. He's like, he has one scene like, mm. and that's it. But I think that's the boldest move Abrams makes with this movie. And that remixes a lot of elements and brings back a lot of characters. He takes arguably the biggest one. And really there's an, I think Luke is in a really interesting place because he's really damaged now. Yeah. You know, he failed, he failed, you know, Kylo Ren's the one who who got away from him. Mm. And, you know, maybe I'm inferring a lot. And I think Rod and I talked about this briefly, but uh, when you see him there at the end, I mean, he is really, he is not the guy that we remember in Jedi. He is totally damaged. You know, he's failed Kylo Ren on some level. He's failed uh, Han and Leia Mm. through that. And I, I think that's a really powerful character to have going into the next film. Yeah, like him and him and Kylo are I'm, you know, I feel safe in assuming that they're going to sort of meet up at some point in episode sure. 8. Yeah. And that's that should be just like that should be juicy as hell in terms of like Kylo Ren now has come up, he's killed his father and that's going to yeah. I I think that's going to weigh on him and there's so much that they could work with that in there and just And like Luke said, will feel and Luke will feel responsible for that. Yeah, right? I mean that yeah. history that that is just sort of spoken in like a bit of expositional dialogue that you know, he tried to build the Jedi back. Like, there's so much there. There's so much yeah. even in the simple first sentence of the crawl of this movie where it says, Luke Skywalker has vanished. I got chills yeah. down my spine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like, really, like, compare that to the crawl of those prequels where it was like, you know, trade routes and like political bullshit. Like, yeah. it felt, it was another like, oh yeah, we're we're in, the tone is established right away of like, ooh, like, what is that? you know, the possibilities there. It's, it's, it was very, and, and, you know, to be honest, like even as we got into the third act of the movie, I was kind of expecting, Oh, I kind of, I really was expecting Luke Skywalker to like run in and like uh-huh. come out of hiding and save the day or do whatever it is. But when he didn't, and when we see him and he's kind of completely, he's alone on, on this Island by himself and clearly emotionally brought, mm. I think like for me, that was like the, that was a really powerful moment to end the film on. Yeah, with the cliffhanger of I, I love that he didn't even necessarily reach for the, the his lightsaber at the end. No, like no, exactly. That, that was a really great visual, and that's that's another thing I want to compliment Abrams and the, the his just everybody that worked on this movie is I think visually he he definitely you know we've all talked about it since the trailers were released that he really captured the look and feel. But I even think he pushes it forward in a lot of way with these like long takes where there'll be action in the foreground on ground level. Like let's say John Boyega, there's several scenes where he's running around sort of gunfires everywhere, but off in the background, you've got this spaceship battle and it's fluid one long takes and everything's framed classically, but the camera's able to move in a very new modern way. 
Yeah, Man, I just love that. And I well, really... there's a there's that great sequence where you see Poe like flying through the air, yeah. like shooting down rebellion rebellion fighters, and the camera like sweeps around. And as that's happening, you're right. Like in the background, on the foreground, there's still stuff going on on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I I noticed that when I saw the movie the first time, but I, I wasn't paying attention to like to Poe as watching what was happening on the ground. Yeah. And when I thought the second time, I, I knew the scene was coming. So I was really able to sit back and watch it. And it's amazing. It's a great sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the reason I look forward to seeing this again is just, you know, I know where the story goes. I know the, the twists and turns, the things that we've already mostly spoiled. Now I can focus on that other stuff. And yeah, that, that's very exciting, but also like, man, um, I, I, I wonder what you guys think, like the way he visualized Han Solo's death Maybe it's a little bit silly. Maybe at times the long uh, bridge that they're on feels almost like we're at the end of episode one when Darth Maul fought uh, the Liam Neeson and in, in, in uh, Obi-Wan character. It felt a little bit like that, but the way he visualized um, since the, the giant Death Star is like soaking up the sun, like I loved, it's on the nose, but the, it's so perfect thematically of like the sun got drained and that's when Kylo went back to the dark side. It happens quick, but like that he could use a visual to comment and compliment what we kind of knew was coming, you know, like just that inevitability of it. Um, it's yeah. just a beautiful visualized moment. It also kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that like uh, it, like Lord of the Rings stuff that Peter Jackson did, you know, like the, just the way it was constructed that scene. And I mean that all in a really good way. I mean, it was reminiscent of things, but that was just such a strong visual for me. And uh I, th- I think there is a lot of that in this movie. I think was... I think even before that one scene, there's a there's a scene previous where it's a really wide it's a, a really wide shot, mm. and it's it's Han and Kylo Ren on the bridge, and there's just a single shaft of light coming through. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And then oh, when okay. that, yeah, and, and then that gets like, drained, like, and yeah. right as he's turning, you know, he's he yeah. still has some light. It's the good in him, you know. And then yeah, yeah. as soon as the the new Death Star soaks up the sun. It's gone. Like like, it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I agree. That was, that was pretty great. I love that. And I'm sure there'll be people that are like, ah, it's like so on the nose, but I'm, I'm kind of like, if it's on the nose, doesn't always mean it's bad. It can be just perfectly, you know, synchronous with, with what's happening in the story. And I, I, I just love that there was that kind of care put into it because for all that George Lucas tinkers and plays around in his, you know, he, he's obsessive as a filmmaker, those prequels felt more cluttered and like, just throw everything at the wall. There's a sort of general overall fakeness to the look of everything that just is not there in this movie. And well, I think it goes, I think it goes back to feel where it's like, I think those prequels are, are very technology driven, but not necessarily in the service of putting forth an emotion or a feeling or, or any, or anything like that. Yeah. He was not interested in emotions in those movies. That's (laughs) the other thing is, is this new one is force awakens is funny again. It's like, Oh yeah. You remember star Wars used to like, have a lot of good comedy, like character moments in it. Like that was the other thing sorely lacking in those prequels is just how deathly serious he takes everything. And yeah. the attempts at humor were pre- pretty lame and childish, you know, like Jar Jar stepping in shit or uh, robot dr- weird droid humor, you know, like all of that's forsaken for character moments for, for Han Solo having a wise ass line that he spits out or just enjoying shooting, you know, Chewbacca's crossbow. I love the little moments like that Yeah, that are arguably fan servicey, but sort of, I feel like for the most part, they kind of found a good, a good balance, uh, for those moments with, you know, the, the, the action overall. 
And um, another thing I got to compliment Abrams on is just pacing. He just knows how to, he just knows how to pace this, this movie in this world. And it's nice to see that like when his Star Trek reboot came out, the first one, it did really feel like he kind of made that series into Star Wars, you know, like he kind of made it the new Star Wars. And it's nice to see even after the sort of fumble with Star Trek into darkness, which is not a great movie. No. That, yeah, that he really was, this was the series he really was supposed to be a part of. And uh, it's just nice. It's nice when things work out in that way, um, when you see potential for, for a film or a filmmaker. Uh, so, yeah, I really like that. But, yeah, just, just you know, introducing comedy back into the series was a big, big step forward for sure. Yeah, no, no argument there for sure. Um, I want to I wanna touch upon something that Kevin uh, mentioned a while back and then it sort of leads me into a couple other roads about the things that bothered me about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Kevin was saying about Luke being damaged and all that stuff. Um, I think that stuff is really great. I think it's such a good observation, but the problem with the movie is that you don't feel any of that stuff. Mm. And because we're told all of it in a crawl and then you get one glimpse of him at the end. So it's a great observation and you are, you're, you're, you're inferring stuff that is there for sure. Mm. And it's great character stuff, but it's not character stuff that we've actually seen or felt yet. Mm. Um, and that's what sort of drives me a little bit crazy about the crawl is that it's like, holy shit, all this stuff that they just said, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like I, I kind sort of my favorite version of this movie or a better version of this movie is no crawl. Oh, interesting. Like that crawl. I was like, Oh my God, you cannot tell me all that stuff. And, and I don't get the okay. Luke Moore. Yeah. What? Like he, he tried to do a whole bunch of fucking Jedis and, and I mean I guess you kinda have to after thirty years and then he was betrayed and then all so like that stuff is super loaded and super kind of amazing backstory, but you're just like that's my that's like sort of my issue is like there's so much major things in this movie told through exposition. Mm. By the way, yeah, our son who's like Satan, you know, Kylo <laughs> like, What? Like, you know, like oh my god, like and and so, so we're left to like infer or, or feel things secondhand. Oh yeah. Our son about him. Yeah. Remember that. And while we're grappling with the fact that Kylo Ren is, is their son and they're like, yeah. And, and yeah. And that's why we broke up. And it's sort of the thing that sort of a little bit is maddening to me um, in, in the way, right, but you can't have like another hour of just like, no, no, of course. I like, understand I don't... what you're saying, but I mean, you're talking about an entirely different movie. You're, yeah, ta- you're talking movie. about like Andrew Haig's 45 years version of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and of course that that will never happen. But maybe like, it will. <laughs> but, but, but maybe I mean they're making like the there's a lot of emotional movie. stuff that's like you know like Han and and, and Han and, and and Kylo Ren meeting off and and you know having their moment together. That is the, pos- the, the the best possible moment that they could po- that they could have, given that we've never seen their relationship before. Given that we've never seen a moment between them, we've never we've never felt anything between them ever. Right. And so it's such a huge leap for for the directors and filmmakers of this movie for us to expect them to all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, and I don't know what the solve is for that because I don't know. You- yeah, I see what you're saying, but I, like for me, that scene played well just for the fact that no i'm saying it is it's like the best it does play well it is the best version of that but like they we've never seen them together before we've never felt any of 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 their issues you know like like it's all of a sudden 
oh, hey, dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen you in 30 years. Like, yeah, you kind of suck. And <laughs> – and 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 I do feel I do feel like it's still regardless it's powerful and it's well done and all that but it's just something about the writing there that even for Luke's story and for Han's story that that because so much of it is done in this sort of weird exposition that it it like it loses a, and and again I really don't know how to solve it but like it it uh, it, it loses something about you know like even Luke when Luke fa- faces off Vader in Return of the Jedi we've had one movie to to watch and then another one to sit in between to yeah. to like to think about the percolation of like that the meaning of that holy shit this guy that's that's let Vader is, is Luke Skywalker's father yeah he's going to face off against him and that's a huge fucking thing you know it's it's like a whole it's what that trilogy is about, and it doesn't pay off until the last one. This one condenses all of that into about 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, it's sort of symptomatic of the movie world we live in now, right? Because Abrams did that with Star Trek Into Darkness. Suddenly he was condensing, like, essentially the Wrath of Khan and then the third Star Trek movie into, the, like, the last 20 minutes. You know, like, killing off uh, – he, he inverts it, kills off Kirk – instead of Spock in this one, but he's already brought back to life before the credits have rolled. It's like, we are in this, everything does sort of get streamlined and condensed. You know, now now what would it take three movies back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, can just be squeezed into one, like, nonstop roller coaster movie. But the only way for that to sort of work is by, like you said, like, understandably being annoyed by the way they they just give you exposition to sort of yes, so I'm not yeah. saying that it should be three movies I'm almost arguing that you could almost make that entire same movie mm-hmm. and Kylo Ren not be Han Solo's father and it's still meaningful and powerful right right and he still kills Han and it's he still kills Han it goes down the same way yeah but it's, but it doesn't have this sort of and if I can use like a kind of exaggerated pejorative a bit of a phony connection between the two of them mm-hmm. that's just in like like slapped on I think you can you can rework that movie slightly and not have it you but know, then but then left. I think you lose sort of the interesting stuff for Luke Skywalker to theoretically work with in the next episode. Right, right, right. Some, well, of, the, the, some of the emotional texture that, that I was trying to get that at makes him way more interesting. Right. I, I guess what I'm guessing, I'm trying to say, well, not necessarily because he, Kylo Ren was the one who betrayed Luke. So Luke will always have that. This would be an addition to that betrayal. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there would be texture uh, and, 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 and a lot of uh, conflict between them regardless. I think, I think the Han thing is a little forced. And I think if they would have had Unintended. another, What's that? Pun intended. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, um, okay. Um, it's it just doesn't. It, it, like it works for me, and it doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like on a, on a visceral, I watch the movie. That really works for me. When I think back on it, I'm like, to me, that's the weakest element of the movie. I, I do wonder though if uh, maybe with the sequels that this, not that it needs to be righted, but I wonder if if we'll get. I wonder if some of this was was used as exposition and sort of as you you know said Rod like maybe a phony connection was made or we just didn't have the time for it to really have the full impact. Right. Maybe, maybe that can be corrected or expanded on with these sequels. And it's maybe it's good to have tension in this series again. Actually, I would say it's definitely good to have tension again where we don't necessarily know what could happen next. The prequels we always knew where it was going, and you know maybe that's a big reason why prequels are hard to pull off. Here we have the opportunity to leave things open. Like um, Rod, you you seem very sure that Ray's parents are dead. I'll, I'll be honest. I I feel like that seems like something they're really waiting to capitalize on in either episode eight or nine in terms of 
who are her parents and what, where are they? Are they dead? Like, I do feel like it's open enough that that's the sort of things they want us to be thinking about. And they want us to maybe feel like there's got to be more there with that we can get from the Han Kylo Ren thing. I mean, Han's dead now, but this is definitely going to be, this is going to be the cloud hanging over, you know, the Kylo Ren character and Leia's character moving forward. So, um, I'm, you know, I, I think, I think again, that there's, there's opportunities there. I just hope they take them. I hope they, they capitalize on them. I guess to my final point about what I was starting out, the thing is like I think everything that Kevin said about Luke is really great, but I don't think we felt any of it yet. And so, you know, maybe that'll be explored in the next one. Um, but that's also like the problem with that is like that's an entire movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, also I don't think you're going to see – I think you're going to see a big jump in time and I don't think you're going to see a – I think you're going to see like a crawl that explains there's been a big fucking gap in time. Interesting. And, yeah. and um, you're not going to see a Luke training Daisy Ridley as much as we kind of want to see that and maybe need to see that. That's going to be empire all over again. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to like, I, I also just kind of would love to see like no crawl for a minute and just like opening sequence, like, a battle or something going on like mm. movement running and then the story like that's what i kind of liked about star wars in some ways too and some of these old serial kind of movies like raiders of the lost ark things just happened and started yeah. and then you figured out the movie as it went kind of wet you know what i mean they yeah. didn't like um they need to they, go like the michael mann route you're just like in the middle of a scene yeah, when, the, when the movie yeah. starts yeah 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 and then and then and then you're watching shit and then and how it unfolds is that how you're understanding that I would kind of love to see that and I just kind of have it I mean I could be totally wrong but like wouldn't it be like I mean it's also if you think of Empire and you think of that tone of 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 Luke being trained by uh, Yoda it's very quiet it's like in a minor key mm-hmm. it's it's got some emotional stuff I mean it's great emotional stuff and it's it's great character stuff but we've seen it already mm-hmm. so for there to be that all over again, I don't know. I mean, also at the same time, how would you feel if, if Ray's just a Jedi all of a sudden? Would that feel cheap? But at the same time, do you really want to see like all that stuff over again? It's, it raises a lot of interesting questions about what Ryan Johnson will want to do. And also what's interesting is like he wants to pitch the movie that he's always wanted to see. How does he apply that to what was already planned? Yeah, that's I, I and I think there's been some stuff coming out already about that that they you know he had to he had to sort of force those ideas into what um, Abrams and and Lawrence Kasdan and I guess Michael Arndt's script that they used elements from. Yeah, I, I think he's had to. Well, to I, I remember JJ Abrams. I read an interview recently where he said that you know Ryan Johnson asked for certain things to be in this episode and Abrams was like, well, I can do this, but I'm not going to do that. So it'll be interesting to see like what that actually means in practice. But you know, those were the kind of challenges that George Lucas had in 1977 beyond all the technical challenges he had. Right. And I, I think this is no original statement I'm making here, but that was what a big reason those movies were as special. I think as they were are is the limits that he had. And once George Lucas had full control and had enough money and the technology had caught up to what he might've wanted to do that it limited him as a filmmaker. So um, 
uh, I guess I'm just the big optimist on this episode. I just, I'd like to think that uh, these, these challenges are good for filmmakers. And if Ryan Johnson has to rethink his idea, his very special personal idea, it, it could be for the better. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of concessions to be made. There's, I mean, there's two years is still a long way to go. I mean, it's not even two years away. Uh, cause it's 2017 that we'll get episode eight, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, they're probably going to start shooting next year. I would imagine. Yeah. 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 And then and right. is rogue one supposed to come out 2016? Yeah. In December. In December. Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, Rod, I think you might get your no crawl desire in those offshoot movies that, that would seem like where they'll be able to be, you know, no, I think I, I, I mean, well, at least not in the the uh, not in the uh, the rogue rogue one seems like it's perfect for it in a way that's because true. also the rogue one one's perfect one for it because it gives you information that's not critical. It's information you already know, so it's okay. Yeah, you know I mean? it'll be like blah blah blah. The, the the empire like the dictatorship is doing this. A bunch of rebel forces, uh, you know, have been killed and da da da. And now a group of people have been sent off on this mission. And and it'll be like it's okay. You know what I mean? Oh, mm. yeah, sorry. This reminds me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of diverging quickly, mm. but mm. I heard I re- I can't remember where I read this, but it was an interesting theory uh, that you know how we have Max, Max von Sydow at the opening of this movie for yeah. apparently no reason. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I read this online where someone was pitching the idea that Mads Mikkelsen's character in the Rogue One mm. will be related to, or actually be Max von Sydow's character in force awakens. Yeah. It did seem that I, I, I read that too. And that, that seems like a good possibility, especially like why bring Max von Sydow in? Yeah, for like a, for what seemingly is like a nothing role, unless he has like a larger connection to something. Yeah, to die. They just cast him to die in five minutes. Yeah, was, yeah. I think there is a lot going on there, and it's. Um, do they really need to do that? I mean, I guess it would explain a little bit. No, they don't that. need to at all. Like, I think mm. it's a terrible idea. But. You know, you know what else they don't need to do is I. I'm just hoping and. You know, maybe I'm just hearing this from other like I listened to the Slash Film cast, pretty much their whole two hour review of this movie. And a lot of them seemed pretty certain that Daisy uh, that Ray is like Luke Skywalker's daughter. And I know for one, I hope that I hope they don't feel the need to make everybody fucking related to everybody. You know, like I kind of I, I was leaning in that direction, too, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Like straight up just from watching the movie. You got that yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. It seems like there are lines that the um, uh, what's the 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 like new Yoda type character Maz K- Kanata? Yeah. yeah, that's the Lupita Nyong'o character, correct? Yeah, yeah. See, I also feel like they wouldn't have cast her unless that character is going to be much more significant and maybe become a new Yoda type, uh, an analog to a Yoda. But um, regardless. Uh, she does say things that would make one, you know, kind of think, well, she must be related to Luke, but they don't, I still feel like they don't need to do that. And I mean, also who the, who's Luke Skywalker having sex with? I mean, like who, <laughs> it opens <laughs> up so many doors. Well, first of all, if they, if she is his connected to her, yeah. um, that's going to be lame, but I, I don't think she is. <laughs> um, I don't think she is because he has, um, first of all, they showed that dream her dream sequence they show her parents mm-hmm. they say her parents are dead their parents were on that planet and they show her being captured by Kylo Ren or, or somebody, some people or stormtroopers or whatever right and they're taken off yeah, so I yeah. think that's her parents there and they're not Luke also Luke is a is after Return of the Jedi we can pretty much infer from 
that crawl and soon to be any aftermath novels and those things that are going to fill the gaps in he becomes a jedi and so then he's monastic and he doesn't have children and he goes off and he starts training a whole new jedi academy and that's what he does and um so i don't and we've already seen what happens when a jedi, jedi tried to take a, a a woman and a wife and how that went and and that was his father and that didn't turn out well um and none of these people have children and i think that's what luke does i don't think he ever has has any children and he's trained people and and then you know whatever happens with kylo ren and then that's it and uh you know and then he goes off because he's you know regrets what happened or whatever but i don't i don't think it, i don't and i don't think she needs to be i think there was exactly. an interesting there was an interesting interview i read somewhere where um it might have been slash film too, talking to J.D. Uh, Abrams, where like you know the early ideas that like you know like what I liked. I think the interviewer was saying well, what I liked about Star Wars and the Force early on when I was a kid. It was that, like anybody could could have the Force. Right, it's not right. this thing that you're born into. It's not a um, midi chlorine. It's, it's not. It's not. Well, beyond that, it's not right, royalty right. or it's not spiritual royalty. It's a thing. It's out there. It's it's as they say, as Yoda says, as Maz says, basically echoing Yoda's lines. It's like you know, it's it, it's a force. It binds us. It's in the trees. It's the it's in the air. It's everywhere. If you're, it's a spiritual thing that's part of this universe. And if you're a special kind of person who's connected to it, you're connected to it. And I think that's all it has to do. And that's I, I think that's what Ray's connection to it. And that's purely that's all it is. I don't think she needs to be. Um, connected in any way and by the way if i'm not sure if you guys saw the the piece that went up and some spoilers that have been have have been going up but apparently the voices that are calling to ray in that scene are ben kenobi yoda and, and yoda oh okay okay like and during her, her flashback her, thing that she yeah. had the vision she has yeah yeah and there's a voice that says ray mm-hmm. and that's apparently uh ben kenobi um, and, and Yoda's part of that thing too. And I think Luke's voice in, is in there too, but I don't think Luke is specifically the one that's calling her, but I think that's an interesting idea. And well, I don't know if it's interesting, but like, I think they'll follow up on that because if, if like maybe the idea that Luke's gone back to this Jedi temple and with the help of Ben Kenobi and Yoda, who are still there as spiritual forces, they can't just disappear all of a sudden, right? They've been they've been around in, in Jedi and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. they are. I, my theory is that that the three of them have been at that Jedi temple, using it as some cor- sort of like crazy antenna thing to like search the universe for other people who may have this ability or have the potential to have this ability. Yeah, and and, and that's where they found Ray, and and I think that's all it has to do. I don't think it has to do anything with lineage to any of these people. That's that's what I'm hoping for. I'm I'm with you. I really it's just not it's not needed. And if they do the familial connection, it's just going to feel more like a regression into the old when really I hope that moving forward we get much more of the new possibilities because it's really it doesn't need that baggage. The the Ray well, character I think, I think we've got the familial connection in in exactly. in uh Kylo. you know Kylo, right? And I think JJ wisely said because I think Arnt was trying to have the children of everybody, mm. and I think JJ said like you know how about just this one? You know what I mean? Not right. everybody needs to have children. Not every like you know if we if this would have been Lucas's story, it would have been probably not that similar to some of those novels where there's like Luke has children and Han and Leia have children and everybody yeah. has children and those children become like you know they become the new characters, right? Which again another problem i found with the prequels was like the way he shoehorned like boba fett's origin story and he's all connected to everybody like just it's just an over-reliance on that that's not needed and 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 not everybody's 
The problem also with that is it makes the like all those connections make their universe so much smaller. Smaller when it should be vast, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It should be really, really vast and there should just be people who come up and are just like not connected to anything, like Finn. You know what I mean? It's Agreed. just like it's a universe, it's a globe, it's a planet. Yes, in a way the planet is small because but but the, the more you make these connections, the more you make everything really, really smaller, which is also slightly a bit of my problem with the plot of Force Awakens because it's like, hey, we're on this planet and okay, so the you know Poe and and uh, what's his name land there. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And then oh, but then hey, there's some Millennium Falcon. Oh wow, cool, that's neat. I never you know all of a sudden that ship. So then we get on the Millennium Falcon and then who's right up above that planet? Well, it's Han and Chewie. Oh, we've been looking for you. You know, it's like that stuff. I know that Star Wars has always been built on coincidence and people say that, mm-hmm. but like all that stuff is just a little bit too much. And in the and in the writing for that to me that was like ugh, that was like as soon as like Han and and you just figured out that that Han and and Chewie like basically you know sucked up the with their bigger freighter thing sucked up the Millennium Falcon because they were looking for it mm-hmm. I was just like uh, this feels like when they when they say that like you know they wanted to go to 2016 to work on the script a little bit more that's where it feels like to me like uh, that's not that's a little dicey to me right right it's a good point it's a good point I mean that's where the pace of the movie just really pays off because you can like have that tinge of like, yeah that- I mean the movie just moves right yeah, like, it's like, it's yeah. it just goes and goes and goes but it's like uh, like how many contrivances and coincidences do you in a row do you want me to buy I can buy a few sure because yeah. every movie is built on those kind of things in a way right I mean the architect architecture for all these movies is like is for almost any movie is something extraordinary happens to an ordinary person and they're and they're like in thrust into extraordinary circumstances and how they adjust to that that's mm-hmm kind of the plot of almost every movie you know yeah and and but there's only so many contrivances you can buy along the way for those things so that's uh that, that yeah that was a problem for me too a lot of for me especially like the the pace of the film glides over a lot of little issues i think in a in a less accomplished movie would have been super irritating right so it's sort of like it's going so fast that like it, it like you know, I, I totally got that because that's that's certainly happened to me in certain movies. Like, I'm, if yeah. a movie's so good or or so engaging or entertaining, or entertaining, it will it will take you to places that you may not necessarily buy in other yeah. circumstances. And I and and I I totally get that. And um, that didn't happen for me, but I 100% get that. And it happens to me all the time in movies. You yeah. know, like and, yeah, and, like the like the Millennium Falcon thing. Like, I actually liked how they got it back into the story. I was like, oh well. Okay, well, they're going to have this planet where they just smuggle stuff and sell parts and things. Like, if you have to reintroduce the Millennium Falcon, better that than Han Solo just like arriving in it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Better to I find was, the Millennium the, the, Yeah, the, I was like, oh, okay, then someone just. Better to find the junk, the junk ship on the junk planet mm-hmm. rather than. Yeah. Rather than like, I, oh, guess, then, I guess if you're going to make that point, then you could say, well, that's why. You know the 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 Han Solo and uh, and Chewie are about because they're in the junk quadrant or whatever. You know this is a right. a place where people wheel and deal with this kind of shit. So it makes sense that they're somewhere in the vicinity. That floating, yeah, exactly. Or that they're you know conveniently floating like just right above. <laughs> right. <laughs> or what if they just hit light speed as soon as they detected the Falcon when it came back on? You know, like maybe. Maybe they just like had a sensor on. I don't know. Yeah. There's, but I mean, to Rod's point, I think I think to Rod's point, it actually would have been more interesting if they went to mm-hmm. the cantina 
And then Han Solo's there. He's like, hey, you have my, my, you have my friggin' plane or my ship or whatever. <laughs> I think that would have been like a perhaps a more impactful version of that. But like in the end, it didn't really bother me overly mm-hmm. like that it much. Didn't re- okay, I, I totally can get that that you didn't bother you that the Millennium Falcon was happened to be on that planet. But like it didn't bother you at all that like that they just happened to be right above that planet or light speeded in there from five seconds away or whatever it was. It certainly was convenient. Uh, I don't know, like, I, I guess because, like, I rewatched the prequel, uh, the, not the prequels, the, tri- the original trilogy, mm-hmm. and, like, th- those movies are filled with those things, like, no. all are of they? them. Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't know, I just... Give me, I, I'm like, sure you're right. Give it's also an... another thing where it's, like, I watch these movies, and I take, like, in the end, like, Lucas conceived them as, like, pulp serial stories, mm-hmm. and so I don't take, like, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, in the context of that, I'm just like, well, you know, that's the kind of thing you expect. Like, that's the kind of thing I, I expect in these kind of stories where th- other coincidences are going to happen or people are going to run into each other. And and that's how the story propels forward. So mm-hmm. I kind of take a different view on those things. So it's a combination of that. And also, you know, going back to Eric's point in terms of like Abrams, I think, strings it along so fast and so well that I can just sort of ride with it and it's fine. But you're right, like sitting back and like, thinking about it, it's probably a, a, a bit clunkier than it should be. But That is another uh, constant in Abrams' filmography. A, a yeah. lot of his movies play great in the moment, but have a yeah. little bit more troublesome once you leave the theater and think about it or talk about it. It, it definitely happens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all the coincidences and the convenience uh, and contrivances of that first act, the first act is really enjoyable in, in a in filmmaking kind of way, but mm-hmm. like, in the kind of like all that stuff early on sort of really kind of, you know, bothered me a little bit and, and shook me out of the experience. And then there's just a, like, you know, the very beginning is like, Hey, take these plans robot and take off. You know, I was like, Oh, I think I'm, for me, like the, sort the, of, desert the, again, you know? the things that really sort of like were more grinding for me were actually all the cantina stuff I found to be really dull and like sort of repetitive. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hated, and I kind of really didn't like that. Uh, Ray and Kylo, they have a showdown in that forest, mm-hmm. and then they have like a second sh- showdown in a forest, like at the end. Mm-hmm. Which to me was like, you really couldn't think of like another way to have these two characters meet, t- like in two. Like I don't, I didn't get like why they needed to meet in forest twice. Yeah, and have yeah. the same sort of fight. Like in both fights, she goes up like she's on a path, and she goes up a hill, and same thing in in at the finale. Like it's almost like a redo of their initial meeting in a way that didn't seem like it was thoughtful, but more just like, I don't know, contrived or lazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like that part didn't work for me at all. So there, so yeah, I mean, there are things that like, even with all the zip of Abrams filmmaking, I still was like, that's kind of didn't work or it was clunky. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, even, even, uh, I think the monster attack was out of was out of like Cloverfield or a different movie. Like that was a bit ridiculous. Yeah, with the the when when we first see Han and Chewie, that whole thing. Yeah, I was like, this is a different. Oh movie. yeah, yeah, that there was that was kind of dumb. That they were weird. like moving yeah. Sarlacc pits. It was very strange. Yeah, yeah. and also, um, yeah. Oh, what was the other one? Uh, her flashback actually, I thought I thought it was from a different movie. I was, mm. It wasn't like. It, Whatever it was meant to convey, like as we've clearly had this discussion, it wasn't exactly clear, and even the style of it was jarring from the rest of the film. Like it didn't, it didn't fit in very well to me. Well, so. if, if to me it's fairly clear, but if it's not clear, I think yeah. 
then it, then it's successful because I think it's meant to not be clear. Mm. And I think it's mm-hmm. meant to be, to be mysterious and vague. And to me, it's not really, but I, I think that's what it's. I think intended. it's a case of, of it's Abram's tendency to be sort of like, to have a sort of mystery box. And mm-hmm. there's times yes. when I think he over plays. Yeah, he hand. totally overdoes it. I, I think that, that scene overplays his hand a bit. Yeah, especially at the end where she's like, how did you get Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? And she's like, that's a spinoff movie for another time. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Come back next yeah. time, kids. Well, that, the, in 10 years, we'll go back and tell that story. Well, yeah. you know, I think that's a great place to maybe think about how we conclude this is like, we are going to get a lot of Star Wars movies. In 10 years, we may have had more than 10 Star Wars movies, you know, and... Um, is that a good thing? I mean, Disney essentially has a monopoly on the three most successful movie makers, I guess, like with Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar. And then you even look about their own properties that they're revitalizing or reviving, you know, like Cinderella and Maleficent is, um, I I don't think this is going to happen, but I am a little fearful for like Disney becoming the evil empire of the big movie world. Like I don't want all big movies to be from Disney and I can counter myself by saying at least like you look at like universal, they had a really strong year this year. So I guess it looks like competition is healthy, but um, you know, I I guess I just don't want (laughs) as exciting as it is that star Wars is back. I just don't want all movies to be star Wars. Well, well, here's the thing. What, here's why Marvel's successful and here's why their movies are successful um, and continue to be relatively successful even on a creative level I know although I know they drive kind of Kevin mad is that they're essentially like they do less big picture and they do a lot of small picture they do a lot of it little adventures for every little character and then every four or five years they do their big movie you know which ties everybody together Star Wars is the opposite Star Wars does like it's a big Avengers movie every single time you know what I mean Mm. and so if Star Wars wants to exist and expand and not like burn itself out you can't do Avengers every two years you got to have like smaller smaller stories character driven stories that like that's how they're gonna that if they're gonna succeed they're gonna have to do it that way it can't just also necessarily be spinoffs you got to tell like like the Rogue One is a smaller is a spinoff, but it's a smaller tale of, of something that happens, and they drill down on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sort of like uh, the Captain America, the First Avenger, or whatever. It's a smaller scale story, and because otherwise, it's going to be oh, and then Death Star four point five can blow up ten planets. What are you going <laughs> to do about it? You know what I mean? Because yeah. then, like, uh, there's not much room there. So I think they need to like really branch out and try and figure out a way to do like. It's like the smaller, like, it's almost like, you know, like, that's what's going to happen. You're going to do episode eight and there's going to be a big crawl and you're going to be like, holy shit, all that stuff happened. And it's like, it's, it's almost like that movie needs to be made rather than making the leap. Yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They need to start telling the stories in between because they're like, they can be just as interesting. And then you can introduce new characters in there. You can have different adventures. You need to do, I think that's how they do it. But I don't know if they're going to. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, speaking to your worries Eric Enterod's point, I think he's totally right. I think both for Marvel and for Star Wars is, and like, I may not like the Marvel movies, but hey, listen, people are liking their stories and, and they're successful at it, so kudos to them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm all for these things continuing if the stories are great and that's fine. But I, in terms of your concern of, you know, of, of uh, Disney monopolizing the market of blockbusters, I mean, audience taste ebbs and flows, so you know, this will be the thing for a while and that's okay, but 
you know, I'm not too worried about it. Good. Well, I, I yeah. you know, and to be honest, I, I'm not, I'm not really too worried about it. It's just, I see the possibilities, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think overall, like people being, you know what the coolest thing is, is that like a movie is like really an event right now. And I, I, even if like the Avengers and Jurassic world have like set records prior to this for box office, I don't think it's really fair to call those movie events like where the world is so aware of it, even if they're not going to see the thing. Yeah. And it, you know, as a movie lover, first and foremost, it, it's cool that a movie is like the coolest thing going on right now. And I, I do feel like that's not really the case anymore. Even with giant mega blockbusters, there's, and uh, like even the Marvel movies is there's a sense that like you saw this one, move on, saw the next one, move on, you know? And it doesn't really, I, I just, yeah, I'm excited. But I think, yeah. yeah, but in that sense, so I think Star Wars also is an exception. I mean, we yeah. had to wait so long for this one. Mm-hmm. But remember, it's going to, we're, we're heading into an era where it's going to be a Star Wars movie every single year. So yeah. I think a lot of that's going to be diminished. Yeah, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to, to see how it all unfolds. But I, I, you know, I think we can all agree that like they did a good job with this first one to, to or, you know, episode seven here to, to get the ball rolling on this new franchise and, um, I'm excited to see it again and the others. So, um, so I hope they, I hope they don't fuck it all up. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> well, but, to Kev, just to, to, to Kevin's last point, you know, they've done, you know, how many Marvel movies now, like 10 or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. They're still going strong. So yep. it can be shown that, you know, that, 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 that this can happen for at least a decade. And with, Oh, sure. I, I, I was more speaking in terms of like, we're not going to like episode, like we're not going to have like another event opening, like, the force awakens style in terms of like global awareness and anticipation and whatever. I think it's going to settle into a group where there's one every year and it's a different kind of anticipation. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that rogue one is going to get a nice boost in the box office because people are really liking this force, this, this one force awakens. Yeah. So it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Um, I think, I think we should wrap it up there guys. What do you think? Yeah, that's good. All right, yeah. cool. Well, uh, I just want to thank you both, Kevin Jagernot and Rodrigo Perez, for coming on this podcast, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Yeah.